Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. We are in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 4, to be exact, and uh, by way of introduction, we're going to be dealing with a a part of this book that is troubling, and troubling uh, in particular was troubling in my own marriage. Back in 2004, there was a situation that happened. Uh, A guy named Derek Fisher, anybody heard of Derek Fisher? He's a basketball player. This dude almost broke up my marriage, praise God. The dude is a problem in my life. Derek Fisher, what was happening was the San Antonio Spurs were playing the Lakers one night. Tim Duncan had gotten the ball. He shoots the ball from the foul line. Once he shoots it, they're up 73-72. There's only .4 seconds left in the game. Now, .4 seconds left, you can't score after .4 seconds. So praise the Lord, the game was over. But interestingly enough, my wife wanted to have a conversation while the game was going on, praise the Lord. So my wife gets in front of the TV. I said she got in front of the TV, amen. She got in front of the TV and, but it was cool. Why? Because the game was over. There's only .4 seconds left. And you can't shoot a shot in .4 seconds. So I'm good, I'm good because the game is over. Game's over, I'm good. Well, my wife wants me to go to bed. She says, hey, let's go to bed. I want, I want to go to bed right now. I'm like, yo, I'm a grown man. You don't talk to me that way. You know, so we did all that. You know what I'm saying? That energy was in the room, right? So now we have a problem. We have a problem. My wife was saying, let's go upstairs. We live in a townhouse. Those are, those are stairs. I know we don't know what those are. Those are stairs inside of a home. I get it. It's a struggle. But it's down south, right? So we wanted to go upstairs. She wanted to go upstairs right then. And I was like, I don't want to go right then. So now we have a problem. And it was all good. It was all good and everything was fine. But then there came a moment where my wife didn't realize that there was still 0.4 seconds left. And I forgot. But then all of a sudden, Derek Fisher. He shoots this shot with 0.4 seconds left. The ball went in the basket with 0.4 seconds left. My wife was in front of the TV so I could pretend like I wasn't listening to the game. But all of a sudden I hear, he hits the shot and my body just moved just a little bit. My wife was like, are you watching TV? I said, I wasn't watching, but I am listening. She goes upstairs. She doesn't want to talk to me. I know I need to go upstairs and apologize. And the struggle, the struggle of going up those stairs was crazy. I don't, I, I know I need to apologize. I don't want to apologize. I don't, I, in fact, in fact, it's like I know what's right to do, but there is this power working inside of me. I don't want to say nothing. We went back to our premarital counselors. Her name was Terry. She said, James, if you don't deal with that thing inside of you that didn't want you to apologize, it's going to destroy your marriage. It'll destroy you. It'll destroy your relationships. You got to deal with it. 
And I thought to myself, man, I've got to root this problem out. See, the problem that was in me is in you. That problem, it's the same problem that keeps you from apologizing. It's the same thing that keeps you from celebrating people. It's the same thing that causes you where you are always minimizing your failures but exaggerating your strengths. It's the same thing that caused you to lie about your past. It's that thing inside of you that is a warning sign to the soul. The Bible says this is a caution. Like you see those caution signs. Like if you see this, you're going to see a future problem. If you see this in somebody, And if you see this inside of you, so understand what I'm going to talk about tonight is, again, not for anybody else. It's not for the person next to you. It's not for your neighbor. It's not for your roommate. It's not for your husband. It's not for your wife. It's for you. And in light of that, here's what my problem was. Here's a problem in a city. Here's a problem in you. Here's a problem in your home and a problem in your relationship. It is pride. And here's what the proverb says. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before fall. In other words, what the Bible says is the minute you see pride operating someone's life, it's a caution, it's a warning. That person is going to destroy people and things. They're going to destroy things. They're going to corrode that which God intended. Why? Because they don't listen. They're a proud heart. Haughty means I am above you. You destroy things. What then is pride? Pride, first of all, pride is a good thing. Pride in and of itself, when we normally use I have pride in what I do, or you take pride in work, well, that's self-esteem, self-worth. Knowing you come from good stock, that you've been made in the image of God. You better have pride in yourself. You better know that you are somebody. You need to have pride. You need to know good things about yourself. But in addition to that, there is another form of pride, a negative pride. And it is actually self-esteem as well, but it is merely self-esteem in excess. It is when you are drunk off self-esteem. It is when you think too highly of yourself. It is when you've taken in those positive ideas. And many of us may have come from homes or situations. We may have come from relationships where no one was speaking into our life. So now we are building ourselves up. But you can build yourself up so much that you get yourself out of reality. You see, humility is nothing more than soberness. It is seeing yourself as you actually are. Therefore, pride is seeing yourself out of alignment with reality. It is thinking too highly of yourself. So this drunkenness off self-esteem, what it does is it now causes you where you can't say what needs to be said, but you also can't hear what needs to be heard. It is the destroyer of relationships. The person in this book He was a proud man. His name is Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, interestingly enough, is not a person that came into power because he inherited it. He came into power because he won victories. He actually built up Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar 
can look out at his work and say, I did it. And he'd be telling the truth. Military victories, architecture. That's what he was known for. You can learn more about Nebuchadnezzar just by reading history about him. So here Nebuchadnezzar is in Daniel chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. It says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house, a house that he built, and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid as I lay in bed. The fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. Notice here the word alarm means that he was unsettled, that he couldn't rest, that he had no peace. And the word fancies, it means fantasies, visions. In other words, the word vision there means he saw an image. The, the, the picture there is then, he thought that dream was so real, he couldn't get peace. Have you ever had one of those? Like you, you woke up and you were like, yo, am I alive? Like I was drowning just a second. Like you've had one of those dreams where you're like, am I going to make it, right? Like it alarmed you. That's what it did. He had no peace after it. And listen, some of you have had dreams that were so palatable, you had to figure out, is this true? That's what happened here. This dream was so real, it felt like there was a visitation and his imagination had run wild and he said to himself, this has got to be something I need to investigate. What is wrong with him here in his palace? Notice it says he just was in the palace prospering, meaning he was just living off the residuals of all the work he had done. No military power was gonna come for him. His problem isn't a military prowess and it isn't that there's going to be an uprising. Pride and peace can't cooperate in the soul of a man or a woman. In other words, you can't have pride and peace at the same time. They do not negotiate well with one another. You see, the proud man or woman instinctively cannot have peace because in order to be proud, you must always want to be in control. And instinctively, you know, you can't control everything. So in light of that, you live with a subtle sense of fear. You're kind of you're afraid what people think. You're kind of afraid what else is out there. So you are unsettled and you lack peace. Be very careful of the people you big up and think are amazing because they're prosperous. Sometimes the most prosperous have the little, the littlest amount of peace. Peace and prosperity are not the same thing. And so here we see that this man can't sleep. He just can't sleep. He can't rest. And so now... Daniel in verse 19, Daniel, whose Babylonian name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Now, notice what Nebuchadnezzar says to him. Hey, at the end, he says, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. But look what he says. It says, Belteshazzar was dismayed for a while 
His thoughts alarmed him. You know what Daniel's thinking. Do you remember last chapter? In the chapter before, you know what Nebuchadnezzar did? Nebuchadnezzar built a 99-foot gold statue even though he was five feet tall and he wanted people to worship it. And when you didn't worship, he would throw you into the fire. So here is Daniel thinking to himself, what am I going to say? He's not thinking about the dream. He's thinking about the consequences of telling him the truth. And so there he is, alarmed. I've got to tell this man that God is against him. God has given me a clear picture of what to say. But he is concerned about saying it. Church, there is a good chance that there are people in your life that want to say something critical about you, to you, and their greatest fear isn't what they have to say. It is, will you receive it or not? They know you'll blow up. They know you'll be like Nebuchadnezzar and you'll become enraged. They know you'll flip out. And it's a shame because they really have, I mean, think about this moment. God sent Daniel and he also sent a dream, but Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't receive it. That means God had something to say, but Nebuchadnezzar didn't want to receive it because he sent it through a poor Jew. And maybe Nebuchadnezzar spent more time thinking about his poverty as a Jew than the revelation from God. You see, what we do is we begin to analyze the person that told me the truth rather than the truth itself. And then we blow up on that person. And then the reality is, but this is not even the problem. That's not even the problem. The problem is people then become so afraid to tell you the truth about you. What happens is you walk in immaturity, not because you don't want to grow. It's because people are afraid of your rage. Here, Nebuchadnezzar, he wins. He intimidates people. He makes people afraid by his false strength. Be careful. A lot of times in our lives, you made it this far maybe because you're strong. But don't let that strength become your weakness. Don't let your self-belief become so powerful that no one can tell you anything. God had something to say. Here, Daniel's got to say it to him. Daniel's got to present the truth. And so the rest of 419, Belteshazzar answered and said, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. Look at what he says. He says, man, Nebuchadnezzar, man, I hope this isn't for you. I hope this is just a warning. I really don't want to tell you this, but I, I know God wants me to say it to you. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar is about to hear from someone like Daniel who is grieving what he has to tell him. He feels the weight of what he has to tell him. He's like, man, I hope this isn't for you. I hope this is a warning. I don't want you to feel this pain. Daniel, therefore, 
moves from being an interpreter of a dream to becoming a prophet. Some of you may have that gift, that prophetic gift to speak truth into people's lives. Praise God for you. But notice here, he has a sensitivity to telling him that truth. Notice here, he is grieving having to tell him of the future of his life. Be very careful about surrounding yourself with people who are more passionate about speaking the truth versus speaking the truth in love. You see, because a lot of times people are truth tellers for truth's sake. They don't really care about how you feel. They don't care about how it will affect you. They care all that matters is telling you the truth. And in turn, you're not a prophet. You're basically a spiritual thug. You're just a tough guy or a tough girl. And you just get off on telling people the truth. You are more committed to the truth, so much so that their pain doesn't bother you. A real prophet cares about your growth, not just about their truth. They love you. So here, Daniel feels the weight of telling him this. And so in Daniel 4, 20. 22, I know this had to be hard for Daniel to say, but Nebuchadnezzar and the tree you saw, which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Verse 21, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which was food for all under which beasts of the field found shade in which branches the birds of the heavens lived It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. So this man has a dream about a tree that grows big up into the heavens. Daniel says, you are that tree that you saw in the dream. But then in verse 23, And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with dew, with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be the beast of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. In the dream, God is fashioned as a watcher. He's been watching. He's been watching this whole situation unfold. He's been watching Nebuchadnezzar rise into power. He's been watching him grow like a tree. Watching. Then this watcher comes down from heaven and he makes an announcement. Chop down the tree. Bring the tree low. And the interpretation of that would be that Nebuchadnezzar would end up acting like an animal in the grass for seven periods of time. Seven seasons, many commentators would say, which would be about two years 
or even seven years. But we know it was for a long time God wanted him to be humbled. In the grass, low. In essence, God was saying, you have grown big, you have grown strong, but be careful, I will chop you down. And eventually this would happen. God would chop him down. God would bring him low. And since he could not give honor to God when he was a high tree, God would have to cut him down to live like a low beast. Psychologists would say that what he suffered from was this thing called boanthropy, when you act like an ox because you've lost your mind. Nebuchadnezzar now is in the ground. He's a beast. Is that what God wanted? Did God want for Nebuchadnezzar to be a beast? No, God is giving him a warning, warning sign. There's pride in your life. Get rid of it. Change or I'll have to bring you low. For you can humble yourself or you can have me humiliate you. But if you look here, what's interesting is that he says this, he says, chop down the tree, but leave the stump. Now, why would God say chop down the tree, but leave the stump? And he says, put a band of iron and bronze around it. What commentators would say is that this band of iron and bronze was to be that the stump would be protected so that it could grow again. That would mean that God's divine plan would be that even if he chopped you down, he wants you to grow back up. Because God is a God of second chances. Whenever he chops you down, it's because you haven't been growing rightly. And he wants to get you back in line so that you can grow. The Bible says in James chapter 4, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. And if I am a child of God and he loves me, I don't think God delights in chopping me down. I don't think God delights in opposing me. I don't think God delights in seeing me be lesser than what I am. I believe God delights in giving me grace. I believe God enjoys me basking in the grace of God and the beauty of God. I believe God delights in that. But he is given a warning. When I met with that counselor, she gave me a warning. James, I see something in you. If you don't correct it, you're going to have a hard life. I wonder if someone has said that to you before. I see something in you. You need to correct it. If you don't, you're going to have a hard life. What did you do with that information? Huh? What did you do? What did you do with it? <laughs> this counselor. But it counseled the Lord. Who, who are you? Right? 
Because our natural disposition is to not investigate our flaws, but is massage ourselves in the good things about us, right? And this is what happens. Nebuchadnezzar is given a warning, and you know what he does? He ends up having to be humbled. He has to get humiliated because he didn't heed to the warning. He chose not to listen. So in spite of Daniel's warning, look what happens. It says all this in verse 28, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, now you got to understand what's happening here. Um, Look, look, uh, let's go to that image there. Slide 17. So the, there, there he is. When it says he's walking on the roof of Babylon, that one of the seventh wonders of the world was this thing called the hanging trees. And it was part of the palace there in Babylon. It had this unique irrigation system so that you can have all these trees hanging and that people outside the palace could see a garden up high. In other words, that was unique for the time because gardens were down low, but he had a garden up high. So they called it the hanging garden. This was this unique thing that Nebuchadnezzar built. So while he's walking on his palace, he's looking at his hanging garden. You know, look, at, look at this. Look at this. What are you talking about? And then go back to that verse again uh, there in, in, in verses 28 through 30. And the king answered. Now remember, he's looking out at the palace. He's looking out at these hanging gardens. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which... I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. Why is it so hard for the proud to examine their faults? The minute that Daniel told him about his dream, in other words, Daniel didn't, Wake up one day, he was like, you know what, I'm going to tell Nebuchadnezzar about himself. Daniel didn't even want to be in this situation. Daniel is asked. You asked me. Did you ask me? Daniel is asked. Tell me about my dream. And Daniel's like, all right, well, I guess I'm about to tell you about this dream. Then tells him about the dream and says, yo, this thing alarming you? Yo, straight up, this is the deal. You are that tree, and you are going to get cut down. Praise the lamb that was slain. All right. Um, You are going to get cut down, right? And he says this. And the minute that he's told that, what does he do? He walks away from the people that were telling him the truth. And what he does is he says to himself, rather than sit here and receive this, I'd rather gaze at my accomplishments. Gaze at all the good things that I've done. Oh, look at my gardens oh, look at all the great things I've done. Instead of receiving the message that God had given him. Why is it so hard for us to hear our faults? I speak not as someone who is looking at this like as a concept I know not of. It's hard for us all to sit. When my wife and I sit down and I hear that rebuke tone, like, can we talk? I'm like, dag, I don't want to talk. 
Because there's can we talk and then there's can we talk. You know what I'm saying? There's a, there's a tone. There's a tone to it. I almost have to put a seatbelt on because I don't want to sit and listen to it. And the first thing I think is you have a bias against me. That's the first thing I think about. You don't know. You don't, you don't really know, right? And I don't investigate whether or not there's actually some validity to it. I invalidate them. See? And so why is it so hard for the proud to hear their faults? I think some of it is theology. On one end, we are sinful. I mean, we got some problems. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. But we're all so fearfully and wonderfully made. We're beautiful in God's eyes. We're made in the image of God. There are some good things about us. And there are some bad things about us. And when we live in insecurity, we have to keep a perpetual highlight reel of the good things because the bad things are too hard to hear. And part of it is we're in an identity crisis because we want to find ourselves as all good or all bad. And we don't see ourselves as both. Yes, you are because of Christ. The righteousness of Christ is overlaying your life. Yes. But you are in this world and you have flaws. And it's a problem when you want to sit and investigate all your gifts, but you're not willing to investigate your flaws. You will leave yourself as a person that is not self-aware and lacks the ability of knowing who you really are. To know who you are, you must know your strengths and your weaknesses. But I think the other thing is we don't know because we are insecure, we are not able often to fully give God the credit he is due. To see everything as a gift from God. We've got to think to ourselves, there's something I had to do. You notice that's what Nebuchadnezzar was saying. He was like, look at my palace. Look at all that I have done. In other words, we've got to say, there's something that I got, I got to get some credit here. It can't, can't be all you, God. You know, God, you're going to rebuke me. No, no, no. Some of this is me because I got to know, I got to know that I'm the one that did this because I got to feel good about myself. I am somebody. And so being a child of God is not good enough. I need achievements. And so we've got to steal the credit. Were any of you guys here for Soul Cafe a few weeks back? Uh, we did a thing on Church Hurt. If you were, say amen, say yes. Thank God. All right. And when I was there, um, I did a poem. Did you guys hear the poem? It's awesome. Yes. I did a poem, and Carvin's Lassant actually wrote the poem. But it was funny because people gave me a lot of props for that poem. Yeah, you know, I'm going to read some of it because, you know, it was bars, you know what I'm saying? And listen, and where were we? Let me just, let me get, where were we when our beloved tabernacle house rocks in the palm of the hands and flood their stones through the window pane of innocent souls pride in that which claims to be the author of that which is really a gift? Yo, I've never spoke like that in my entire life. I have never written anything like that entire life. 
And when I walked off stage, people gave me so much praise. They said, man, you did such a good job. But before I got up there and read that poem, I said, this is a poem by Carvin's Lassant. What is interesting is, wouldn't it have been awkward? It, let, let's just, uh, let's pause and just for a second. Wouldn't it have been awkward if when I was getting all the praise, I received it? How do you think Carvin's would have felt? You see, it's awkward when the author is watching you steal their credit. When the author, listen, when the author is watching, you steal their credit and you receive all their praise. You are not living in reality. You are nothing more than a plagiarizer, stealing the credit from someone else. And it's a problem when you don't give God credit for everything. And the opposite side of giving credit that is due is living a life of entitlement, of feeling I am due it. Everything is for me, by me. I am due. And the heartbeat of the proud is they can't praise. They can't celebrate because they are so deeply entitled. This Christmas, somebody's going to give you a gift that you didn't really want. You know, you know how that goes? You know how it goes. Like they got you a gift and you're appreciative. Thank you. Thank you. But, you know, I really didn't want this. So you do the fake thing. You're like, oh, my goodness. Thank you. I appreciate it. But then you're just like, this is whack. This is a whack gift. I didn't want this. I didn't want this. I know. I know. I know I'm the center, right? Yeah, right. But, you know, we you know how we do this, right? Like I really didn't want this. But once you get something, there's something inside of you that goes, you know what? You don't even have to do that. I appreciate I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Thank you. But sometimes we just live in this space where it's like the person got you something and it's like they didn't even give you anything. Not because you didn't get a gift, because you didn't get what you wanted. And maybe you are constantly living in a state of depression and you're down, not just because of medical stuff and all that. I'm saying because you live a life of entitlement and you constantly think you should have. And things are never enough. You, you can't be filled with praise and filled with entitlement. At the same time, humility looks at everything as a gift. Like, what do I deserve? What do I actually deserve? And it's the grace of God that has given me everything. And so what happens is God has to take things from you. You see, we're going through this in my house right now. Literally, I, I, we, we grew up, you know, we had like a cable box now. My kids got Netflix and all that. And when they start arguing with me over what to watch, do you know <laughs> that I pay for all of this? And it's just like, well, yeah. And they got an attitude. I'm like, boom, I cut it off, go to your room. In other words, no, no, no. Your attitude tells me you don't appreciate it. So I got to cut things off until you understand the credit I'm due. And just, and, and if I do that as a broken earthly father, what does a heavenly father do? He will cut you down and cut you off until you appreciate him for what he's due. 
What does he do? Everything. What do you deserve? Nothing. You don't deserve anything. Now, let me just make a side note. We should live a life with God where we have expectations. But it is only when we define God by those expectations, that's when we start living entitled. When God has to. And it is good if he does it, but when he has to do it and you define him by his gifts, he knows I am no longer your God. I am your gift giver. And you can't appreciate me because is God still good without the gift? I mean, in his very nature and who he is. So Nebuchadnezzar is humbled. Daniel 4, 34 through 35. At the end of the days, I, now remember, Daniel has been in the grass for seven periods of time. His nails have grown long and he's been acting like an ox for maybe seven years. He's walking around and finally he comes to his senses and like the prodigal son, he finally realizes who his father is. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an ever, look, this boy is a theologian. He's an everlasting dominion, for his kingdom endures from generation to generation. Now, notice what is happening here. He is not a theologian, he's humble. The depth of theology is not in books and in intelligentsia. It is in humility. You can only see God rightly when you decrease. And that is how you will see him increase. You will see the magnitude of God through humility. It is being low. That is how he sees him. He's not read a book. He's not been to seminary. He's not been trained. None of those things he's been through. What he's been through is pain. But his pain didn't go from pain to bitterness. His pain went from pain to praise. He said, thank you, God. Because it is through this pain I now can see you rightly. And so in 36 through 37, he says, at the same time, my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty, my splendor returned to me. Listen to what he says. My counselors and my Lord sought me and I was established. Listen to what he says. And I was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. I was at the top of my game God humbled me, grew me back up, and God added more greatness to me. Greatness will not 
come from proficiency in your industry. It will come from humility before your God. He will give you more than what you can stand for. He will give you more than what you can steward. He will give you more opportunity than you could possibly imagine. Not because you're so proficient. It's because you're humble. And you see God rightly. He's still more greatness was added to me. He did not do another military strike. He did not build another building. He did not read another book. What Nebuchadnezzar did was he got on his knees and he saw God for who he is. And it will not be from getting blue check verified. It will not be from having people know your name. It will when you see God for who he is, that's when you will praise God. And that's greatness in that. It is not through anything external. It is through having an internal understanding of who God is. That is greatness. Your pride is your problem. It is not opportunity. It is pride. The humble person says, I can't believe you know me, God. Um, when I first started this church, <laughs> we have a running debate of how many people were at that first service. That whole road knows about that. It's, uh, 20 people, 30 people. I say 30. Don't lie. Don't lie. Don't lie on me right here. But let me just lie to myself, okay? Just thank you. All right. Um, but I remember coming out that second service and I remember looking out at that crowd and I was like, why do I have a microphone, praise God? <laughs> and when I didn't get what I thought I could have, the first thing in my heart says, I deserve better than this. I came up from Atlanta, boy. I had a house, I had all these things. Do you see what I gave up? You, you, you know what I've been going through? God, I don't know if you've been watching this whole situation, but I'm do some things. And the only way to humble the heart is to get to a space where you begin to think to yourself, wait a minute. Why do I deserve more people? What got me thinking, what do I deserve? You see, the proud, the proud the humble person says, I can't believe you know me. I can't believe you even put me in ministry. I can't believe there's people actually listening to what I have to say. I can't believe you actually know me. But the proud says, don't forget, you owe me. I, I, you see my bill? You see my bill? You see all the stuff I did? That's on my bill. Make sure I get everything that I put in. Jesus looks at us and says, you see my bill? Do you see everything that I put in? Do you see my blood that was shed on the cross for your sins? Do you see that I came from a palace and I went into a manger? Do you see that I was a king? I was a king, but I became a baby in Nazareth. I, no, no, you gave up nothing. I gave up everything. And so tonight, 
no matter where you're at tonight, here's what I think we have to do, all of us have to do. When that counselor came to me and said, James, this is going to be a problem for your marriage. You've got to decide how you're going to deal with your pride. So I went back to my apartment with my wife. My wife went upstairs and I was downstairs. And me and Pride had a conversation. I called up Pride. I said, hey, how you doing? You good? You been looking good lately, Pride? You lose some weight? Oh, okay. Me and Pride had a conversation. because See, me and Pride been rocking a long time. Pride got me really far in life. Sometimes pride, me and pride talk, and I could take over a whole room. Sometimes me and pride, we get into a conversation, we talk it up, and before I know it, everybody's following me, me and pride. But I had to look at pride and say, man, pride, it's not you. It's me. We can't be together anymore because I, I got this relationship with God and my wife and you're getting in the way. So pride, I hate to tell you this, but we breaking up tonight. And here's the thing, like, I'm going to just do start doing, like, when I, when I start feeling you, I'm actually going to do the opposite thing. I'm actually going to sit and listen. What I don't want to listen. The minute I feel you, I'm moving away from you. I'm, I'm going to start being vulnerable with people. You know what? I'm, I've been lying about this one situation. I'm going to stop lying about that, man. I'm going to tell people I got an addiction. I'm going to start really confessing, not like, like general sins. I'm going to be real. It's just my pride. So pride, we're not together no more. I'm following Jesus, and I want to be used. Now, the question is before you, how does pride manifest itself in your life? I can guarantee you this. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. Someone knows. Oh, yeah. Somebody knows. Somebody knows, and somebody possibly wants to tell you. In fact, you know, when you ask them, they're going to start looking around like, oh, gosh. But tonight, hasn't Jesus been good to us? Hasn't he done so much for us? You can prosper in life but you will not have the abundant life. You will never be who you can be, everything you can be, until you kill the pride in you and become a humble person. Tonight, peep the warning signs. Break up with pride in your life. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you, God. We thank you, Jesus. We pray, Holy Spirit, that tonight 
me and pride, we're gonna, we're not just separating, we're, we're flat out divorcing. I, I can't do this with you, pride. And tonight, I wanna live a life of humility. I wanna walk with you. I wanna hear what you have to say in my life. And so God, surround me with people. Surround me with Daniels who are willing to say that thing I need to hear. Or maybe I'm a Daniel that I need to speak into someone's life. Holy Spirit, humble us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if you'd stand with me. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. He also took the cup and he poured it out. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Take and drink. For every time you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. I pray tonight that you would receive the grace of God, the truth of God in your life. I pray you would be everything God has called you to be. And I pray that you would fight for humility. For the Bible says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due season. Just at the right time. But it will not come from anything else other than humility. If we could have the elements come. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.